Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. A lot of times when it's raining like this, what we get is a lot of questions on gutters. I'm going to start off with that. If you have patios, doors, driveways, great place for gutters. If you have a spot where the soil slopes towards the house or is flat, where the water doesn't just run off away from the house, great place for a gutter. But you do not have to have gutters all the way around your home. I know a lot of gutter people would love to to tell you that. Even some of the building codes nowadays ask you to do that. But gutters are problematic. They get leaves in them. They plug up. Water gets behind them. They start wood rotting. There's there's issues with gutters. So use them in the areas where you need them. Like I said, patios, driveways, door openings, things like that. Where the water hits the ground and runs off and it's not cutting into flower beds and different things like that. Don't put a gutter. Let Mother Nature take care of it. She does, she does a wonderful job of taking care of things around our homes. So utilize her. That's what Mother Nature is there for. Well, we'll start with an insulation question. Looking to have insulation blown into our attic. What type of product should we be looking for? Some folks have said use fiberglass product, and some have said they use a paper-type product. I'm concerned about critters wanting to nest in the paper-type product. What should I be looking for? Okay, my biggest problem with the paper-type and that's cellulose insulation, and, and they use paper, they use denim, you know, ground-up cloth. All of those items are degradable, and as they age, they turn to dust. So I do recommend fiberglass insulation. Now, when it comes to fiberglass insulation, even there you have choices. You can use a bat-type insulation, you know, the stuff that comes in a roll and you roll it out. Once you put that there... It's there to stay. It doesn't settle. It doesn't you know, do any of the stuff that blown-in insulation does. But you can use blown-in fiberglass insulation as well. Over time, it will settle, and so you end up adding some insulation later. But it's really inexpensive and real simple to have it installed. So, how much insulation do you need? Well, that is rather simple 15 to 16 inches of insulation and you're basically looking to get up to like an r49 in the attic so hopefully that'll help you out but uh, one quick note when you start looking at the fiberglass insulations you're looking for formaldehyde free formaldehyde free and reason for that you don't want it off gassing later a lot of the cellulose insulations have glues in them and and uh, insecticides to keep the bugs out of it and stuff like that. You don't want all that in your walls and in your attic and all these places. Yes, it's nice to keep the bugs out, but remember, you're in there. Your family is in there. You're breathing all that stuff all the time. Let's keep it simple. And we can take care of bugs another way. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement, Ray. Hi, Jim. Okay, here's the deal. We bought a new house. We have a long fence. It's been like 30 years old. So I had all the rest, of you, all the rest removed, uh, and now I have questions. 
what primer should I use to paint it, what paint. Neighbor was leveling ground, so he essentially buried six inches of bottom of my fence in the ground. We dug the trench, freed it up. So what should I fill the trench with? Okay, let's, yeah, let's start with the coating first. Uh, are you wanting them to be a solid color of paint, or, or are you open to black. other things? Black. Solid okay. Black. If you're going, and is it treated lumber, or is it cedar? No, no, no. Metal. Oh, it's metal. metal. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. I did not under, I, I missed that. Okay. No, I'm, I'm an immigrant. My accent is bad. I apologize. I didn't even notice you had one, so it's not that bad. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, it, 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 just up front, uh, my mom's from Germany. She, everybody tells me she has a bad accent, and I just I don't hear it. And so when a lot of immigrants talk, I really don't hear an an accent uh, in the, in their voices just because I'm so used to it. But okay, if you want to keep it black and it is a metal mm-hmm. fence, um, mm-hmm. they actually make a paint that's designed strictly for doing metal fences and have a glove mm-hmm. that you literally put the glove into the paint, wipe your hand down the different pickets, and yeah. they're painted. It's done. That's perfect. So yep. what should I get? Uh, go to, like, Sherwin-Williams, Kelly Moore, any of those paint stores. You're not going to find it okay. at the box stores. you got to go to a regular paint store. That's fine. I will. And, and they'll have it. Okay. Uh, I, uh, just tell them paint for uh, steel fence, and they know yep. what it is, right? And they go out. Yep. Yep. Wonderful. Now, okay. As far as for what's going into the ground, you you know, you mentioned you mm-hmm. dug that trench. I mm-hmm. wouldn't put dirt back up on it. I mean, if you need mm-hmm. to fill it with something, you can either fill it with one of two things. If you don't want to use concrete, because you could put concrete there and no, just no, 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 mount no, no, the dirt up no. to where the con- where the water runs, or use pea gravel. Ah, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, pea it's gravel. You know that pea gravel uh, going on there. One, it'll keep weeds from coming up through it. Two, mm-hmm. you know that way you don't have to weed eat a lot. But it it allows you to be able to do things with the fence in the future if you need to. Wonderful, Jim, you're a genius. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Ray, and I appreciate you hanging on. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. And this comes from John. My mother is on a walker. The end of her driveway is steep enough that when she goes to the mailbox, the walker tends to run away from her. We're thinking of putting a series of rubber strips, like short speed bumps, across the end of the driveway. Maybe tall enough to catch the stop, the the walker, if it starts rolling. But not so tall that she has trouble getting over it without tripping. The closest I can find so far is like two and a half inches high and six inches wide, which really isn't suitable. Do you have any ideas how I might make it a little safer for her to check her mail? I recognize that nothing will be 100% safe. Well, I got to be honest. I, I think what I would do rather than trying to put a stopper that goes up, I would get a concrete saw and put a series of lines in the concrete. In other words, just score the concrete down uh, maybe a half inch, and the concrete blade will be, you can get get it anywhere like a, you know, eighth inch wide or so. And I think if you put a series of those, put them like uh, an inch apart, I think that'll make it rough enough that it, it'll keep it, 
your the uh, walker from rolling away on you because it'll give it just little spots where it can get hung up. No trip hazard at all that way because anything that you put that comes up is going to be a trip hazard. And quite honestly, uh, they're not going to stay unless you do something to screw them down to the concrete. So I would take a look at, like I said, just doing some uh, cuts into the concrete using a concrete saw. You can rent one, a walk behind and do it, or they actually make blades that you can put into a hand skill saw, you know, a uh, circular saw, and do it if you're not doing a lot. And, and in your situation, I think you could get away with doing it that way with no problem at all. But I think that's a, a much safer way to do it and still accomplishes what you're trying to, to do there. This comes in from K, and he says, I had my hot water heater rupture from the top and flooded my home. Sheetrock was removed in the hot water closet only. Baseboards were removed and holes drilled in the walls to help dry out. How much concern should I have for mold forming? I have carpet and tile flooring. <clears throat> I know that's a very common concern that everybody has. Uh, first, I will tell you, we have always had mold in our homes. Since the beginning of time, there has been mold in homes. Um, remember, mold must have moisture in order to grow and survive. So if you have a one-time leak like this, you take care of it, everything gets dried up, you've got no mold issues. It will take care of itself. Where you run into a mold issue in homes is you get a pinhole in a water pipe and it continues to have a wet spot. Mold can start growing there because there's a constant source of moisture. That's when it becomes a problem. But for a one-time water heater break, nah, you'll, you'll be fine. Uh, and, and please, I, I would not lose a lot of sleep on a one-time break. And it doesn't matter if it's carpet, tile, whatever. It can be dried out and be just fine. One cautionary thing I will tell you, you know, on a water heater, no big deal. But when you start dealing with sewer pipes that break and things like that, that can cause water issues, you are dealing with a different issue. It's not just the mold, it's the bacteria then that you have to deal with. And you do have to have the, the uh, flooring sanitized and stuff if you're dealing with a sewer line break. But when it's a water heater, not that big a deal. Yeah, this question came in, and, and we actually did a, a a news, well, I guess it went out on Facebook, a story about lightning. Uh, this came in from John and Graham. A short time ago, my house was hit by lightning and knocked out my TV and phone. Is there anything I can do to protect against this? There's actually quite a bit of things that you can do to protect against lightning like that. Obviously, the home can have a lightning rod on it. Uh, most homes, they don't do that anymore because they ground the electrical system and that kind of acts as your lightning rod. What you can do, though, to protect your different appliances like that, if you use a power strip, get one that's got a surge protector in it. And what that does is it keeps that uh, high power from going through the line into your appliance. That's what kills your appliance. 
is not that the lightning hit the appliance itself, because if that happens, the appliance kind of blows. You know, it, it's 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 not just the motor goes out. It kind of it blackens it. It looks bad. Uh, we'll leave it at that. It, in fact, if it if it was a direct hit of lightning onto an appliance, uh, it can literally cause it to blow up. And I don't mean like a bomb, but I mean just messes it up bad. When it's a surge, which is typically what happens, there are several things you can do to protect it. One, you can have a whole house surge protector put on. That, however, will not protect your appliances if the house itself gets hit by lightning. That protects your house from uh, lightning or a power surge coming in from the power company if it hits a line or something like that. Uh, however, if it, if you put in, like I said, the, uh, the surge protectors at each appliance where you got appliances plugged in, that will protect your appliances. I still would recommend a whole house surge protector. I personally don't have it on my home, uh, but I do use surge protectors in parts of my home for my expensive electronics. In fact, uh, what I'm using, my the equipment I use for doing the show, where I do it from my home, it's on a surge protector because I don't want to have to worry about uh, something like lightning tearing it up or a surge from the power company. So yes, if you want to protect your home, look at a whole house system or and look at individual surge protectors for your appliances. And and they come in many different forms. You can get them where it's a you know a power strip that has surge protection on it. You can get it where it is just a, a device that plugs into the plug and then you plug your appliance into it. So depending on what you're using it for, there are many different adaptations to it. And for some reason, you know, we used to always have lightning rods on homes. We don't do that like we used to, but like I said, we didn't used to ground our power like we used to, like we do now. So uh, it, it's not, I'm not going to say it's not as critical as it used to be, but it's really not. Thanks for listening to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast. Now, I would love your help. If you enjoy listening to Texas Home Improvement anytime you want, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. Help us reach more people and grow the show in Texas and beyond. Please visit iTunes or wherever you listen and leave us a review. What product could you use upstairs other than carpet, which I would like to use, or some sort of hard flooring like laminate that my wife wants to use? Oh, love getting into these domestic battles here. I have a floating floor upstairs now, which when the dogs are on it, you hear is clicking noise. I don't mind the hard flooring surface, but don't want the sounds that come from that type of product. Do they have something now that is soundproof? Currently carpet in all rooms and the floating floor in game room and walkways. This comes from Murray. And he's got a secondary question, but let's start with this one first. Uh, yes, they actually do make a product to go under floating floors like that that's dead in the sound. If you go to floor and decor, they uh, have different products that you can use underneath as the lay underlayment. And 
they, they have a display set up where you can drop a golf ball on the same type of flooring with the different underlayments and what a huge difference it can make. Now, I will tell you, that's on a floating floor. On a second floor, because on first floor, I, I typically tell people, use a floating floor. I don't want you to glue it down or anything like that on the concrete because that's always asking for trouble. But on a second story floor, you can glue down the wood floor, you can nail it down, you can do all these things that actually would help to reduce the sound. The reason you hear so much clicking noise uh, right now is your typical floating floor uh, has a, a dead airspace between the floor and the underlayment. And so that that's kind of the sound vibe, uh, bounces through there and, and comes through to the first floor. Carpet, though, is still going to be your quietest. No matter what else you do, carpet will be your quietest choice. Now, your secondary question. Upstairs bathroom currently has tile in it, which was installed on concrete board. It has held up, but we are wanting something else other than vinyl floor. The water from the leak got under the concrete board and three-quarter plywood and needs to be removed. Okay, and then they say, reason for all this work, we had a water leak from the hot water heater. Okay, if you want to put something else on there. Now, number one, just because water got on there from a water heater leak does not mean all that plywood's got to be replaced. Unless it was going on there for a long period of time and the plywood started to delaminate or something like that, you would be fine to put tile down or whatever you want over that existing concrete backer board. The fact of the matter is, depending on the uh, linoleum floor that you have down right now, you may be able to actually just go over that even. But typically, I'm going to tell you, peel the linoleum up, get down to the concrete backer board, and come up with a tile floor from there. Uh, as far as like the plywood under it, it, it just depends on if it started delaminating. If it didn't delaminate, then it should be fine because just getting plywood wet once and then getting it dried out doesn't usually cause you a problem. Now, I went down to uh, Lake Limestone on Thursday. I was there. I was traveling between Houston and in Dallas, coming back home, and I stopped off to take a look at a boat ramp that was being washed out from underneath. And I was surprised to see, you know, up here all our lakes are full, but that lake is way down right now. And the, the as the waves were up higher, they started washing out underneath this boat ramp. And it's got a nice 10-inch void under it. And so I was looking at, you know, how can we fill that void, get it back up where it needs to be, uh, so I looked at using either a urethane foam or mud pumping. And because of the size of the void, mud pumping makes sense on that one. Uh, it was open on on one side of it. There was about a 12-inch wide gap between the concrete boat ramp and a bulkhead that ran along the boat ramp. And the water was washing down when it would rain and stuff through that 12 inch wide gap and that's what really washed out underneath it and then accompanying that with the waves going up there it just really wreaked havoc with it 
Uh, so it, it kind of it was an interesting project to look at. But again, it's one of those things where it's a service that you're going to get done. Done wrong, that boat ramp will snap in two and be useless. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people don't realize what has to go into a project like that. Because I, I gave them a price of 5200 I think it was, to repair this thing. It was 40 feet long, 13 feet wide. But you're going to have to take at least three different trucks out there, one with gravel, one with the Portland and and uh, sand slurry and and pulling the mud pump, and then another one with additional Portland and uh, topsoil in order to finish filling it because it's going to take about six yards of material to fill that void and get it back up. And, uh, you know, I, I'm bringing this up because it's kind of playing back on what we were talking about earlier. Services, you get what you pay for. And if you underpay for it, you're going to have a bad job that ends up having to be redone or worse yet, can't be redone. So be very careful when you're hiring contractors. In Texas, we have no contractor licensing, so it is buyer beware. Now, this is an interesting email that came in regarding an air conditioning system from Steve. He has a, a musty chemical odor after replacing an AC system. Smell builds up in return and takes 30 seconds to clear each time the blower comes on. The AC unit is located in an over-the-tub wood fur down with a fan coil screwed through the sheetrock into the joist. The coil is not encased. The unit supplies AC to 3,000 cubic addition and has two 12 by 12 air filters. The fur down, ah, wow, these numbers are not making sense. The fur down is covered with three and a half tongue and groove boards with a service panel on the return side, making full inspection difficult without destroying the new ceiling. The unit has been operating for 25 days with no apparent change in the odor. Okay, you got several things going here. And and you got more, to, I know where you're telling me the size of it and all that stuff, but uh, <clears throat> first of all, for an AC unit that's big enough to do 3,000 uh, 3,000 cubic foot addition. Two 12 by 12 air filters. Uh, typically, that don't sound like it's enough. Now, what you've got here is basically the type of system they put in apartments. That's where they put the fur down over the tub uh, and mount the unit with a with a door underneath it. Your tongue and groove very well could have been sealed with something. That could be part of the odor that you're getting. Just the wood itself could be adding to the odor. But what I'm suspecting is happening, more so than those two items, with the 12 by 12 air intakes not being large enough, I'm betting it broke seals somewhere else and is drawing in odors from other building materials. As an example, if you have fiberglass insulation that has formaldehyde in it, and that's one of the reasons I tell people all the time, get fiberglass insulation formaldehyde free well if you're drawing air through it you're going to be pulling that odor and i bet you that's what's happening here all right i was going to tell you about my water heater going out here's what happened now i tell people all the time if you're going to be out of town for a while shut the water off this is why 
we came home. We didn't have any leaks or anything. I had I had left the water on. We we had been away for the uh, passing livestock show and rodeo. Got home on Sunday. My wife starts doing laundry, and within ten minutes of her starting the laundry, we started having some water coming through the ceiling, onto the wood floors. Now, had this started the day before, my wood floors and everything would have been ruined. But fortunately. We got home, and I think it was just the on-off of us getting home and turning things on. Well, I went up and looked at the tankless water heater we have because it's very unusual for you to have this kind of problem with a tankless water heater, but mine's probably 10 years old now. And um, when I started looking, the heater coil was surrounded by plastic, and the plastic had literally split. So I simply shut the valve off, changed you know the next day picked up another one and installed it it's that simple but when you're leaving town there is a reason to shut the water off to the home and that right there is it you don't need the water coming through the ceiling and ruining your floors you've just heard the best calls and questions from texas home improvement for more information about our show go to thipro.com